The sound waves will link themselves into large, enjoyable episodes to cover this book's themes, just as it was in the past book clubs. All of the themes, Lord? Most of them. (laughs) Within 300 (laughs) years, the podcast once more will reign here. It will be a new kind of podcast. I promise you. We have to do this podcast for 300 years, according to Leto. You know, it's going to be the Gamjabar peace. (laughs) (laughs) Enforced tranquility. Enforced militaristic podcast enjoyment. Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name is Leo. And Leo. Yeah. We have so much to talk about (laughs) in three chapters where all they do is talk. Yeah, man, a podcast where two people are talking about effectively two people talking in a book. (laughs) It's it's tenant, but every layer of dreams is just another conversation between two people. (laughs) Yeah, wow. That's Christopher Nolan's got to get on that movie. (laughs) Christopher Nolan, the Gamjabar film adaptation. (laughs) It's just two people talking all the way down. So, yes. That is a lot of today's conversation. But before yeah. we get to the conversation about the conversations about the conversations, let's take care of some housekeeping. Let's make shout out Mapes proud. Indeed. And as usual, let's start off with our spoiler warning. And as usual, no spoilers beyond the pages that we've talked about in the books that we've covered thus far. We won't be talking about any of the future stuff. That's right. And as always at the top of the show, we want to shout out our Kwisatz Haderach level patrons, mm. Case Aiken, mm. Matthew Good, mm. <laughs> gents, Yeah, I'd only lecture you once or twice on our road trip. That's how much <laughs> I value your time and your generosity, okay? I'm not giving you the Leto 2 lecture for all eight hours on the road. Yeah, and lecture is a strong word. It's really just him telling you how much he appreciates you, but it's like at length. <laughs> like it's really, a, <laughs> it's a long spiel. <laughs> yeah, totally. But of course, our gratitude extends to all of our patrons and to all of our listeners who tune in week after week and who help make this show possible. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you all so much. Thank you all so much, indeed. Okay, well, y'all know the game plan. This is a book club episode, last time Mm -hmm. I checked. So (laughs) we're going to start off with a summary of today's chapters. Then we're going to dive into a couple of takeaways, and we'll wrap up with some yummy, ooey-gooey spice morsels. (laughs) Mm. Jelly-filled today. Jelly-filled today, I know. And no gelatin, so it's safe for you vegans. Yes. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. So don't go anywhere. When we're back, we're going to jump into our chapter summaries right after this. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everyone. Let's jump into our chapter summaries for today, starting with chapter 13. Indeed. So we begin our first chapter today, following along in the God Emperor's royal entourage, on the road to the festival city of On. And almost immediately after they leave the Surreer, they're at the edge of the Surreer at this point, the group stops so that Leto can take a moment to look out across the forbidden forest and the kind sea in the distance and the remains of what was once the iconic shield wall, the wall we know and love. Yeah. I also, I just want to point out quickly, I found it poignant because... He talks about how it's like the remains of the shield wall. It's this like tiny element of the landscape now. Mm -hmm. But later he says explicitly that they disassembled the shield wall to build this fucking road. Yeah. (laughs) Like Duncan's like, where where is it? He's like, we're standing on it, dude. Like, (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. But I found that so poignant that after everything we heard in Children of Dune about Leto realizing, telling Stilgar Yo, this whole Muad'Dib thing needs to end for everything to move forward. Right. The fact that he literally disassembled the shield wall, the this standing monument to Paul's victory over House Carino for construction materials. He's like, we need rocks. I don't have to tell you. Yeah. That's <laughs> a long fucking road. <laughs> it's a long road. We need rocks. <laughs> what is it? It's just, so, it's just a rock. It's like, no, that's yeah. like a... He's like, no, nah, it's just rocks. I'm the god emperor. Yeah. Trust me, it's just rocks. <laughs> yeah. Now, I- I'm glad you brought that up because the symbolism there is not without meaning. Frank didn't just write this part of the book willy-nilly for no reason. The symbolism is extremely direct. And at this point, he has quite literally physically deconstructed the events of his ancestors. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> now, Leto turns to Monea, who has been walking by his side on this journey, and asks him about the new Duncan. How's he doing? Is he acclimating to his new role as commander of the fish speakers? And Moneo says that, actually, all things considered, it's going pretty well. Yeah. The fish speakers, quote, like this one very much. He is good at what he does, end quote. Yeah. Now, Things might be going well, of course, but that doesn't mean the fish speakers aren't being cautious. Right. We also learn in this conversation that apparently that Lay's Gun incident with the previous Duncan that we read about has spooked the fish speakers enough that they're tightening up security and limiting who is allowed to actually carry a deadly weapon like the Lay's Gun. Duncan himself only has the knife on his belt, doesn't have a Lay's Gun of his own. And Leto's response to this is almost flippant. He's like, ah, Moneo, it's it's too early. It's too early to be freaking out about this new Duncan. He's not going to betray us yet. The way I read it, it almost seemed like the fish speakers as a group 
are pranking Duncan because it was like <laughs> they told him this like bullshit thing about only like approved trained people can use it. Right, He's like, right. okay, I guess I'll keep my knife. Meanwhile, there <laughs> like anybody. So it's funny because it did did seem a little targeted in the way it was written. Um, I was also going to say in later in this chapter, we also get quote. There was a sense of menace about Idaho's movements. Surely not this soon, Leto thought. Yeah. Which is so fascinating to me because Leto's not sure. He's like, Mm -hmm. fuck, this Duncan might. Yeah, maybe he's going to rebel early. I don't know. Duncans are unpredictable. That's why I like him. Yeah. But that also paints some of these early beats of the conversation in a really interesting kind of shade for me. Because Leto's telling Moneo, it's too early, you know, let him use a gun. It's fine. Is that then for Moneo's sake? Is that for the fish speakers? Is that to preserve the space around Duncan? It's manipulation of some sort. He's not sharing this inner thought, right? So I don't know. I just thought that was super interesting. And I do like to think the fish speakers are sitting around laughing about Duncan going, where do I apply for a uh, a certification for the lace gun? And they're like, (laughs) I mean, oh, yes, very important. You're going to want to (laughs) go, you know. Right, right. You'll have to go to school for about 12 years and then you'll be allowed to do it. Duncan's like, fuck, that's so much time. Okay, I guess I'll just. And then you'll have to renew your license every year. Yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing with these lace guns. Uh, So all of us have to do it. It's crazy. It's so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really great point that you brought up, though. Like internally, Leto certainly has his fears about how this new Duncan will act. But externally with Moneo, he's being very flippant about it and kind of hand waving away any of Moneo's concerns or the fish speaker's concerns about the new Duncan. Yeah. Now, Duncan, speaking of the man, grows impatient because now they've just been standing here looking out over the forbidden forest and shit for like a weird amount of time. And he walks up and he asks, why have we stopped? And Leto tells him that he always stops here. This is normal. He likes to stop here and look out over the landscape. And in fact, we learn that This instance is a little different than the past times Leto has stopped. Today, he's feeling particularly nostalgic about the old desert. And Leto even observes about himself, quote, What is it about this morning that makes me think about my lost humanity? End quote. Yeah. Oh. Our guy's feeling sentimental today for some reason. He's really in his feels. Yeah. And he turns to Duncan, actually, and changes the subject. He's like, hey, by the way, look out over there. That used to be the Tanser roof. And then Duncan's like, where's the shield wall? And Leto, of course, as you stated earlier, points out where it used to be. And in fact, it's the road we're standing on now. And I really liked this small moment because for us, the reader, it's just another reinforcement of why Leto values these Duncan Golas so much, why he has spent the last 3,000 plus years reviving this one man over and over and over. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Duncan is the only living being that Leto can turn to and say, look, that used to be the Tanzarut, remember? He's the only being that remembers Arrakis as a desert. Right. He's the only other person that Leto can actually reminisce with about the good old days. And when you really think about that, it's quite a sad and lonely thought, actually. Yeah. It's also, you know, for as much 
as Duncan provides him comfort. And for as much as Moneo understands him, but will never understand him fully, right? Or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, Leto has these like partial solutions to his loneliness, to his isolation, none of which really scratch every itch, right? Like it just strikes me that like none of Leto's relationships at this point can be appreciated from like a holistic perspective. They're all yeah. very like one note or one in in one dynamic, you know? Right, right. They sort of address just one part of his humanity, and nobody that he's around can really understand him as a whole being. That's such a great observation. I love that. So anyway, all of this talking, blah, 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 everyone's doing so much talking, and Moneo <laughs> yeah. gently, very gently prods the god emperor that uh, maybe it's time to get moving. They are headed towards a festival, after all, and there is a schedule to stick to, folks. Right. <laughs> so, Leto and Duncan wrap up their conversation, and while they're chatting, it's actually Moneo's turn to start wool gathering. We jump inside Moneo's head as the Major Domo's thoughts circle back to his daughter. And we learn that Moneo's rebel streak, back in the day had ultimately been ended because of his fascination with the god emperor. But from his thoughts, it's clear that he doesn't think that will be enough to sway Siona, right? He's really worried about this upcoming test for Siona. He's worried about her rebelliousness, how it will end, what will become of her life. And he's confused because he doesn't know how it'll happen with her. He knows how it worked with him. How will her rebellion end? And what's interesting is even his thoughts here make it very clear why Moneo's rebel streak ended. He looks at the god emperor with this mix of awe and reverence and wonder and fear. Quote, Leto never ceased to surprise and amaze. End quote. And we know from the chapters with Siona, she doesn't exactly think that way about the worm (laughs) yeah yeah so moneo is spot on he knows his daughter what worked on him is not going to work on siona so what does the god emperor have in store for his daughter yeah let's wrap up chapter 13 here the major domo is shaken out of his reverie as leto finally decides all right fuck it let's keep going and the chapter ends as Duncan falls back in line with his guards, and Leto, in a passing comment, ominously hints of danger to come. And this leaves me wondering that in a book where a prescient god tells you an upcoming plot detail, is it foreshadowing or just a plain out spoiler? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting consideration that. Yeah. Leto has a thought. We're like, shut up, Leto. God, we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> Let me enjoy the book. And he's like, well, actually, in chapter 39, I'm going <laughs> to... Leto, come on, man. <laughs> come on, The chapter bro. numbers? Chapters aren't even numbered in this book. I have to fucking count? <laughs> so that is the ominous note that we end at chapter 13 on. It seems like danger is coming on this road. Seems like it. Chapter... 14 kicks off 
And listen, folks, I know y'all love a conversation between two people. Well, mm. this one's got a bonus third person, so it's going to be Ooh. a lot of fun. <laughs> a threesome, some might say. <laughs> Menage <laughs> conversation. So <laughs> this takes place in the embassy quarter in the festival city as we meet a distraught Reverend Mother, Tertius Eileen Antioch. <laughs> mm. I don't I don't know how her name's actually said. Is it Antioch? Is that right? Yeah, that's how the books uh audiobook says oh, Antioch. Nailed it. Great. Well, Antioch is having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Oh, why? You might ask that. You might be like, why is Antioch having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? Mm-hmm. Well, she and her fellow Reverend Mother, Lucille, got assigned small and dirty quarters. Oh. And they were denied communications facilities. Hmm. No no smartphones. And they've been moved to last place in the queue to meet with Leto 2. Holy shit. So rude. <laughs> and of course they give us the exposition that that means if he is feeling generous, he will have given up all of that extra spice that he might have given away. So right. They're just going to get the bare minimum spice allotment, no extra bumps, because again, it's going to be gone by the time that their meeting comes up. That sucks. And they were third. They're very clear. They're like, we were third in line. Now they're at the end. Uh, sucks. Shit end of the stick. <laughs> shit end of the stick, indeed. And at the moment that we join Antioch, she's meeting with a postulate messenger who basically came bearing some fucking wild news <laughs> from the Ixians and Tleilaxu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, Lucille bursts into the room, annoyed that she wasn't summoned, which is fucking hilarious, because she's like, why yeah. wasn't I summoned? And Antioch's like, we we did. We asked your acolyte, and your acolyte said you were busy. She's like, yeah, I was. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all right, then what's the fucking complaint? <laughs> Sounds like your problem's with your, your acolyte, not with us. Yeah. Anyway, and the description of Lucille is fascinating. Mm -hmm. Quote, Lucille might be one of the finest practitioners of the art, but she remained too conscious of rank. Lucille was young, however, with the sensuous oval features of the Jessica type, and mm. those genes tended to carry a headstrong nature. End quote. Okay. Sounds like fucking astrology to me. <laughs> She's such a Scorpio. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but I also wanted to point out here, between Mount Idaho that we heard about in the last chapter, Kine C, right? And now mm -hmm. literally, quote, the Jessica type. Right. I love this because we are seeing the characters we know and love from the first three books literally becoming archetypical. Like we are yeah. seeing them become the vocabulary that people use to describe stuff yeah and a lot of this is happening off page right like they just very casually say oh yeah features of the jessica type and it's like what the fuck are you talking about but <laughs> of course this means she's a direct descendant of jessica and has a lot of her genes kind of forward anyway the young messenger is told to enter into kind of the memory regurgitation trance and she repeats the message for these two senior Benny Jesuit. Quote, Tell the Reverend Mothers that by tonight, the Empire will be rid of its God Emperor. We will strike him today before he reaches own. We cannot fail. 
end quote. <laughs> wow. I Confident, know. are Confident. we? Yeah. It sounds awfully <laughs> like someone who could fail, uh, as it yeah. turns out. Anytime someone's like, I can't fail, I'm like, that's akin to, in a horror movie, being like, one more day on the job and tomorrow I retire. I'm like, guaranteed right. going to die today. Right, uh, right. <laughs> it's giving Wincisia Laza Tiger plot. <laughs> <laughs> it's giving uh, Edric as a mastermind behind <laughs> It's giving it's Corba. It's giving Corba. <laughs> a little bit of Corba. It's giving Benny Jesuit going to create the ultimate being <laughs> that won't backfire on us. It's giving Tleilaxu made a Kwisatz Haderach, <laughs> but then he offed himself. <laughs> oh my God. That's so dumb. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, once the messenger leaves and they, they say, you know, double up the guards, you know, you know what to do. The two Reverend Mothers process these kind of bombshell revelations. Mm-hmm. Now, the sisters, the Bene Gesserit sisterhood as a whole, but these two sisters are in a pickle. Because if they join the Tleilaxu in the assassination scheme, they could absolutely ruin any, <laughs> like, tenuous relationship that they have with Leto. Yeah, You know, they could kind of incur his wrath. But if they went the other way, if they chose, you know, if they, they chose to be maybe informants to Leto, that would put in jeopardy anybody that might have helped suss all of this out. Right. And they're sort of realizing that the Tleilaxu are trying to put them in this pickle to force them into action. Now, they discuss the possibility that Siona may be involved in the scheme, considering the fact that she seems to be, there's kind of rumor that she's invisible to Leto's prescience and awareness. Right. And Antioch computes that the plan would have a, quote, high probability of success if Siona was involved. Hmm. Okay. Lucille responds in a really interesting way. Given what we know about like the history of Bene Gesserit and Mentats and kind of how they don't really trust each other, right? Mentats call Bene Gesserit's witches, and then Bene Gesserit's are like, "You're fucking nerds, <laughs> right? <laughs> Four eyes, yeah. You got all that data to compute. You can't compute yourself companionship, <laughs> fucking oh, nerds. <laughs> got them. You being singles, high probability. Oh, fucking. <laughs> anyway. So, <laughs> Com- how about you compute a date to the prom? You fear a lot. The priest's like, shut up. <laughs> I prefer a single lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> quote, you should be careful with terms such as high probability, Lucille said. We don't want anyone thinking you're a mentat. End quote. Wink, wink, wink nudge, wink. nudge. And rather than reject that fucking crazy idea antioch's response is sassy and incredible i loved this quote antioch's tone was dry i presume you will not give me away incredible (laughs) amazing just incredible and yeah to to be clear antioch is a reverend mother truth sayer mentat or at least has mentat training fucking incredible so after some debate the reverend mother's conclude that anything is possible (laughs) quote 
with the Lord Leto, that's the only thing you can say for sure. <laughs> Lucille said. Wow. And Iconic. <laughs> Iconic. Incredible. Yeah. And the chapter ends as it basically dawns on them that the Tleilaxu might actually be stupid enough to try and utilize a face dancer, Duncan Idaho Gola. <laughs> To assassinate Leto. Oh, no. Honestly, the exchange here made me laugh. The Literally um, laugh I, out loud. I think it's Lucille says, they could not be that stupid. <laughs> and I think it's Antioch that says, quote, that's a dangerous judgment to make about Tleilax. <laughs> End quote. They couldn't be that dumb. Well... <laughs> Wow. I think they could. I think they could be just about anything. It's kind of truly hilarious. You love to see the Tleilaxu just get dunked on by everyone. It's so much fun. Very little sympathy for the Tleilaxu. Yeah. And ultimately, that moment of, well, they couldn't be that stupid. We have to do something, right? Happens. They decide they're going to warn the God Emperor. But uh, it's hard to say if, well, what's going to (laughs) happen? Because, like, are anything they gonna get is there? possible. Anything is possible. Are they going to get there in time? Are they going to... Like, we don't know. Anything's possible. So stop asking. <laughs> we'll get yeah. there. We'll have to read more of this book, I guess. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's chapter 14. <laughs> that's chapter 14. Alrighty. Final chapter for today, chapter 15. Yeah. We are back with the gang on the road to the festival city. And Leto and Maneo are discussing business. Leto begins a bit of a TED Talk. He launches into this TED Talk about how much he despises religion and the history of the Jesuits, more of which we'll talk about in the takeaways later. And Moneo has an absolutely hilarious thought here. Quote, The Reverend Mothers are in for a bad time, Moneo told himself. He's going to preach at them. They detest that. End quote. I'm going to preach at them. <laughs> at them. It's so funny. I love the vibe that Leto gives off oftentimes throughout this book, that he's like the old crotchety dad that everyone has to deal with because he's the one still paying everyone's cell phone bill or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's uphill in the snow both ways level talking yeah. to people like yeah uh, back in my day nickels were four times the size and you're like all right that doesn't sound probable but you know better yeah. than i do yeah so the thing to remember all throughout this whole chapter is that moneo is on guard yeah he is on the lookout for the quote-unquote worm right because Leto is having mood swings, there is moisture in the air from the Idaho River nearby, which is agitating him. He's in a bad mood because of all of this pomp and circumstance for the festival, and the worm could come out at any moment. Right. This animalistic, shy halud worm that comes out and oftentimes ends in bloodshed. Moneo has witnessed it before and has used his strategy of get the fuck out of the room before it happens <laughs> yeah. to survive up until this point. But right now he's stressed because, you know, they're in the middle of a procession. A lot is at stake. They're on a certain timetable. There's a festival to be had. And it would be tough to give 
Leto some privacy or to get him out of the way of so that people don't get harmed when the worm explodes out in animalistic rage. Right. So Moneo, very on edge all throughout this chapter, all throughout this conversation. Now, the conversation between the God Emperor and Moneo turns toward more business. Leto brings up the spice allotments for this year or for this cycle or whatever. And Leto suddenly declares, actually, I changed my mind. I wasn't going to change the allotments, but maybe I will now. And this, once again, seems like a thing Moneo has to deal with all the time. He always right. has to have a plan A, B, C, D, because you never know when the God Emperor might change his mind on a whim. And in this little back and forth, we learn actually two incredible pieces of information about the spice. One is that Moneo, at this point in his career as the major domo, is constantly being offered bribes to curry favor. Yeah. And at this point, the Mega Millions lotto number for the bribes he's receiving oh is fucking enormous. <laughs> Just off the charts, people are like offering everything they have to Moneo in order to curry any kind of favor with the God Emperor or to, you know, circumvent the God Emperor and go, go to someone else in the court close to power. And Moneo, to his credit, has said no to every number so far. Yeah. The other piece of information we learn is that there are rumors that House Carino will rise up once again. Little whisperings here and there. And Leto says that he wishes to squash these rumors immediately. So let's have the new Duncan murder the remaining Carino heirs in the Empire. It'll be a fun little test for the new Duncan, don't you think? So fucking crazy. <laughs> He's like, hey, by the way, yeah, can you, can you tell, tell Duncan to kill them? It's great. Incredible. Go for it. Incredible. <laughs> so a as this conversation continues and we learn those two pieces of information, we once again jump inside Moneo's head as he starts to think back to the day that Leto actually took him to go see the great hidden spice hoard. Yeah. And it's here, when Moneo got to see the spice hoard in person, that the god emperor revealed to him that one day, this whole hoard, everything Moneo was seeing in front of him, would all be gone. And that, quote, someday I will go back into the sand. I will be the source of spice then. End quote. Yeah. And how exactly that'll come about isn't clear to us yet. It's certainly not clear to Moneo. But Leto says that he will one day become the source of new sand trout on Arrakis. And thus, those sand trout will become sand worms. And that Arrakis will return to the desert it once was. And the spice cycle that we know is intrinsically tied to sand trout and sand worms will start up once again. Right. Big info for our guy to drop on Moneo here. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Moneo has to pretty regularly deal with existential crises. <laughs> yeah. Just very regularly. Like, I, wh what? <laughs> right. Right. That's so true. A lot of existential crises for Moneo, for sure. And honestly, Leto is not sugarcoating any of this for Moneo either. He's literally like, yeah, no, Arrakis is going to turn into a desert and 
all the humans who are thriving on Arrakis currently, because it's a lush, ecologically abundant planet right now, uh, yeah, uh, most of them, a lot of them are going to die, actually, and only the strong will survive. Right. Very much ecological omtal will happen on Arrakis. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. Totally. And Moneo knows this. Of course, Leto knows this. But this is all necessary. All of those deaths will be necessary for the Golden Path because, as we know, quote, the alternatives are worse, end quote. Yeah. There's also a little, I mean, I'm trying to remember exactly how it's worded, but Moneo, he says there are worse alternatives, but then in this chapter, he thinks, yeah, sure enough, after working for him for a long time, I've been made aware of like much worse possibilities. Yeah. And that was such a quiet validation to some of the shit that like Leto claims. You know, we have this guy, Moneo, who seems pretty reasonable and skeptical at times of Leto's <laughs> soundness of mind. For him to be like, eh, you know, for what it's worth, there are way worse things that could happen. Yeah. You you can imagine that Moneo has been clued in on some of the Golden Path, or else he wouldn't be a believer, you know? Right. So, back in the present day, we're still on the road, still walking and talking, and the conversation between Moneo and Leto turns toward Siona and her importance in all of this, her importance in Leto's plans, the upcoming test, her... <laughs> planned breeding with Duncan, all of which <laughs> are very uncomfortable topics for Moneo to talk about, clearly. He's a concerned father. Right. And what's interesting here is right in these last couple pages of the chapter, this talk of Duncan and Siona and partnership and love and all of these topics clearly trigger Leto, who suddenly swirls on Moneo and yeah. begins just unloading on him, just this emotional dumping on the major domo. And our poor guy is just shaking in his boots at this point because he's certain that the worm is fucking here and we're all doomed. We're seconds away from the worm exploding and killing us all. And luckily, Moneo keeps his wits about him and he correctly <laughs> answers Leto's pop quiz question about why the God Emperor doesn't fear the unknown and, in fact, loves surprises. He answers that question correctly, and this seemingly calms Leto down to be understood, to have Moneo understand why surprises and the unknown are so important to him. And he, and he kind of settles back onto his cart, and they continue the walk. It's a very tense and scary moment where it truly does feel like this could be the end for Moneo and everyone else on the road here. Leto is that close to losing it. Yeah. I also, you know, it's in this little passage that Leto says, quote, I am forced to stand off and watch such things. Nothing more. Such a reaction could cause your death. The choice is not mine. Do you hear? And to hear Leto so openly talking about effectively the worm, right? Like this, thoughtless without knowing without logic this violence that could kill people 
And so for him to just outright say, I can do nothing about it when shit hits the fan. And and boy, that yeah. shit's about to hit the fan if you don't answer this question the right way. <laughs> right. Oh, is, my God. It's just so tense. I have a sense I know what this sounds like, this little scene. And that, I think, is a testament to Frank's writing quality in this moment because it just it felt very like I, I felt like I was there. It was, it was yeah. very almost funny to me. But maybe I was just laughing because I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a shocking couple of paragraphs it, it is like truly tense to read and, and i and in fact i actually wanted to dwell as we wrap up our summary here and wrap up this chapter i did want to dwell on this outburst for just a second because i think we have been building up to it for these past three chapters for this entire trip to the city of own yeah i think this outburst from leto is a reaction of loneliness and bitterness and sadness because consider the mood that he's been in all day today on this trip to own he's being weirdly nostalgic he's melancholic he's moody he's irritated he's pondering his lost humanity he's in a mood a capital m mood and right before the outburst the two are discussing love and surprises the two things that our wormy boy can literally never have. He can tap in to every disgusting, filthy, fucking, like, <laughs> hedonistic sex act humanity has ever committed. Yeah. But he will never feel the intimacy of that touch because of his, his worm fucking body and the choice he made. Yeah, right. And then surprises, of course, are something he'll never experience because of his prescience. He is very nearly omniscient and that's why he's so fascinated with someone like siona who can still surprise him because she flickers in and out of his prescient visions she may do something when he can't see her i mean it's like the the feeling of loneliness the feeling of lack even if he has all of those memories and he owns all of them it's like he knows better than anybody everything he's lost and i'll also point out we've talked about how other memory you inherit up until the point of conception right so there are some memories that he doesn't have. Like he may ne- never have developed uh, dementia or or Alzheimer's because he he would need to have had someone who did that had had dementia and then also then procreated for him to have them in his other memory. Right. 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 By definition, every other memory has fucked. <laughs> yes. Every millions and millions of people there he wouldn't have that memory unless they right. fucked yeah so he's literally like the only shared experience for every other memory i have is that they got laid yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the only shit that guy got shot with an arrow that person flew a fighter jet that person was a master weaver they all fucked all of them yes <laughs> yeah the one thing he can't do it's the only thing he's gone he's gone three thousand years without a hug yeah it's true and i think what adds on to the irritation right so he's already annoyed about all of this and now they're talking about these two annoying things love and surprises on top of that i think the final straw that breaks the camel's back in this moment that leads to his outburst is moneo's reaction because just like nayla in that chapter we talked about last episode Moneo, too, is a product of Leto's creations, right? Right. And so he responds like any good servant of the god emperor should. 
he says, quote, if you say it, Lord, end quote. Yeah. He yes, Lords, Leto. <laughs> and Leto, the line immediately following that is so telling because it immediately says, quote, Leto was forced to remind himself then, Moneo is my creature. I created him. Yeah. End quote. Yeah. He's like, God damn it. You know, I did this to myself. <laughs> I created this yes, lording motherfucker. <laughs> and it's that i think that kind of pushes him finally over the edge and he just turns to moneo and fucking unloads on him it's because he's annoyed and lonely and sad and bitter and no one challenges him anymore because he's the fucking god emperor and no one understands him and can understand him and he's just ultimately so damn alone in this universe yeah perhaps the loneliest being to ever exist in this universe. And we can see how it kind of cracks him here in this moment. So I think it's a very powerful scene that lasts for mere paragraphs, but there's so much behind it and so much to glean about the God Emperor and his psyche and and so much tragedy there. Right, yeah. All of that having been said, though, Let's wrap up this long summary. Let's wrap up chapter 15. At the end, after he successfully answers the pop quiz question, Leto gives Moneo any boon. He literally (laughs) says the words, I'll give you any boon. And instead of saying infinite money or Kaladin or, (laughs) I don't know, bitches, Moneo literally asks for permission to bring his daughter to the Citadel. Can I have a bottle of Prosecco, please? (laughs) Can I have a firm handshake, silver hand, long arm, strange right. worm man? <laughs> right. Moneo's like, I'm going to trigger this motherfucker. Can I have a hug? Can I have a hug? No! no! That's the one thing I can't give you. Leto, <laughs> <laughs> you slam. Leto, you slam. Leto, you slam. And that's where our chapter ends. Leto gives Moneo permission to bring his daughter to the Citadel, but warns him that this will mean Siona will undergo the test sooner than expected. And that's our chapter 15. And our reading for today's episode wraps up. Lots of walking, lots of talking. (laughs) Yeah. We had three (laughs) chapters and three long ass conversations. Great. (laughs) Perfect. All right. So that wraps up our chapter summaries for today. Let's take a breather. Let's take a minute. But don't go anywhere, folks, because when we come back, we have some takeaways to dive into. And then, of course, those jelly-filled morsels are waiting for us. Mm. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll see you soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you took a breath. That was a lot. It's a lot of talking, but we got some more talking for you because (laughs) let's talk about our key takeaways from today's 
assigned reading. And our first takeaway today is Leto's heavy air quotes piece. (laughs) Because, listen, Leto's enforced piece, right, these thousands of years, has been referenced a number of times in the book. And we know about the golden path. We know the ends that he's using to kind of justify his means. But but in today's reading in particular, we got a couple of new examples of how ruthless these means can be. Yeah. And we thought it would be useful to maybe recap some of the more egregious <laughs> atrocities that we know he committed to kind of remind us why there are rebels. Like, why would people go to links? Why would the Tleilaxu risk everything to try to kill him? Yeah. Why does Siona hate him, right? What fuels these fires? And as much as we often get his perspective, we just wanted to talk a little bit about these examples in isolation. Right. Totally. And so to work our way down the list, (laughs) first up, we've already discussed this, but recall the nine historians that Leto burned on a pile of their own books over a thousand years ago. (laughs) Yeah. That actually comes up in today's reading again. Yeah. Because in today's reading, Leto, in one of his TED Talks to Moneo, is ranting about a certain historical figure named Torquemada, who he says was, quote, an obscenity. He made living torches out of people who disagreed with him. End quote. <laughs> Moneo's like, uh, well, wait a second. Uh, so are you pro that? Or I thought you were, I thought you were kind of pro that. You, you did that. Right. Didn't you do that? Right. <laughs> Yeah, literally the fairest question of all. The follow-up question you have to ask. Yeah, Isn't that the fucking thing Leto, you did. <laughs> didn't you do exactly that? Didn't you cover that song? I feel like you covered that song. <laughs> <laughs> to which Leto says, "No, I used a different sample in my version. Completely different. I did Under Pressure, not Ice Ice Baby. Come on, it's a completely different song. <laughs> completely different song. That's such a niche joke." <laughs> Yeah, Leto says, oh, no, 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 that's totally different from what I did, because I made sure that the historians I burned were unconscious before I burned them alive. Right. Yeah, they didn't feel the flames. It's like, They never suffered. They never suffered. Totally different apples and oranges. Maneo, shut the fuck up, (laughs) is basically Leto's response. But of course, we as the reader are supposed to look at this and go, is it that different? Yeah. Or is the pot <laughs> calling the kettle black here? Right. Like, okay, you're, so you're not a sadist, but you're still a murderer. <laughs> like, you're still <laughs> guilty of all the rest of the crime. You just didn't, like, delight in their suffering. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Right. Exactly. We also see, <laughs> in in today's reading, we see a lot of specifics about his treatment of the Bene Gesserit sisterhood. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, you know, what it's like to be a political player in Leto's empire today, right? Yeah. And specifically Antioch and Lucille, we see how powerless they are to to do anything. (laughs) They they were like... (laughs) Basically. They arrived and they're like, where are we staying? And they're like, oh, yeah, the two-star Airbnb (laughs) shitty, like, fringe (laughs) bullshit, (laughs) like, ambassador house. Yeah, yeah. I actually really like that chapter because Antioch is so clearly upset with everything. She's like, it's dirty. There's like yeah. leaks, the pallets, everything's filthy. Right. It really reads like a 
very upset Airbnb review. Uh And even when Antioch is thinking back about a conversation she had with the fish speaker, we get this throwaway line, which was honestly a little shocking. Yeah. And, you know, Antioch kind of objects to something that the fish speaker says on Leto's behalf. And the fish speaker's like, fucking shut up. (laughs) We get this, this quote, quote, Antioch knew that tone in a fish speaker. To defy it, risked violence. End quote. Damn. Literally, this Benny Jesuit Reverend Mother is like, ah, okay, that that's where the conversation ends. Because if I continue to push back, I could get my ass beat. <laughs> like I could get right beaten. I could be killed for disagreeing or even asking follow up questions. Right. That's wild. If you question too much, you may be beaten right. or worse. It's a tough look. It's a tough look for Leto's piece. And this and this is common knowledge, right? Yeah. Like Antioch's not like I used my Benny Jesuit minutia <laughs> to uh, yeah. understand that the fish speaker was yeah. close to violence. No, Antioch was just like, oh fuck, that's the voice. <laughs> Careful, tread lightly. Yeah. And I think this leads us to our next big point: is that Leto's quote unquote piece is enforced by the fish speakers. Yeah. And up until this point, we know very little about the fish speakers. They've been mentioned time and time and time again in the book. We've had very few interactions with them. And the interactions we have had thus far have been quite normal, right? Like they're just like assistants or they're there. And maybe the most intense fish speaker we've come across so far is Nayla, who's undercover. Right. But let's be clear. The fish speakers are a tyrannical arm of Leto's government, of his rule. And this is actually confirmed later in today's reading when Moneo is thinking to himself on that walk, quote, And he knew also about evil men who sat at table, gorging themselves on rare delicacies while they watched the torture of fellow humans. Until the fish speakers came, and Gore erased such scenes. End quote. Again, it's like, okay, yeah, these are guys gorging themselves and watching humans torture. They're not good people, but they sure are murdered by your police force. Yep. Wow. Erased such scenes. Gore erased Gore such scenes. erased such scenes. What a great combination of words, too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, poetic. Oh. What's interesting, though, is just a couple episodes ago, we talked about how Leto is seemingly demilitarizing the fish speakers. But it's clear from what we are learning from Moneo and Antioch's interactions that the fish speakers have been and will very likely continue to be Leto's bloody fist, yeah, a way to enforce his peace. And it makes me wonder if the whole demilitarization is just good PR on Leto's part, and that there's like a secret subsect, secret service fish speaker group <laughs> that will always act as his like covert military police, you know? I could see that. I From the way that that information was given to us, I, I take that to be true. That broadly, the fish speakers are incorporating more into community and becoming less a literal military. Yeah. I mean, I doubt there's many wars anymore, right? It's been 3,000 years of late to stamping them out. Yeah. And people are not challenging what fish speakers are talking about because they're afraid of getting beat up. (laughs) But I, I do think that even with the fish speakers demilitarized, as long as Leto is around and as long as there is a need for that sort of violence, I think you're right that there will be... It, maybe it's like a SEAL Team 6 kind of situation, right? Where, yeah. you know, it's it's a core 
group. Right. And actually, I'm glad you brought up SEAL Team 6 because another quote from today's reading makes it clear to us how fucking effective the fish speakers are. Yeah. Quote, it was the anticipation of violence which sent tremors of awe and fear throughout the empire. Leto knew where guards must be posted to put down a transitory uprising. He knew it before the event. End quote. Yeah. Yeah. Fish speakers are knocking your fucking door down <laughs> yeah. before you even commit the crime. They minority report the fuck out of you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. they get it right every single time. I mean, because of Leto's prescience. But again, fucking maybe. Because also, I'm thinking, you know, you have some fish speakers. You go, oh my God, did you hear? Some fish speakers kicked down that door and killed everybody inside. And you go, wow, what'd they do? Well, Leto knew that they were going to rebel. Yeah. And you go, oh my God, that's terrible. Were they? <laughs> Fucking were they though? Like, right. Because we also know quietly that Leto isn't using a ton of prescience. Like he, he has his spies and he has these other things that he uses. So part of me thinks that's PR. Yeah. He knew it before the event. But the fucking event hadn't happened yet. And I don't even know if he knew the event was going to happen. Right. Because in all of this, I'm lacking the explicit answer to the question of how does he know? And everyone quietly gives the answer because he's omniscient and prescient and he's a god. Right. But we also see inside Leto's head going, well, surely not this soon Duncan will rebel against me. I don't fucking know. Right. (laughs) So It's It's like, like, dude, you could know. You could just look. Yeah. So part of me is like, I think maybe he just sends them out. He's like, it's been a while since we like lynched a room of people. I'm just going to make everyone think they were about to do something. I'm not saying yeah. he does that, but it's fucking possible. Right. That, that's mighty heretical talk coming from you, Leo. Wait, someone's knocking at my door. It might be some fish speakers. <laughs> Don't <laughs> like, answer it. You just hear like a. It's like, okay, I'll be right back. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, none of them have a certification. <laughs> Duncan's like, what the fuck? They're not trained. <laughs> oh, man. So anyway, all of that is to say the fish speakers yeah. are one of Leto's most powerful weapons in enforcing his quote unquote peace. They are his military, his secret police, and his executioners all yeah. in one. Yeah, it's wild. Tough look for a guy claiming he brought peace to humanity. Yeah. I mean, he knows what he's doing, but it is... He knows. He knows. It makes the uh, makes the publicity all the more <laughs> insulting. <laughs> and kind of finally, the moment we wanted to highlight is another honestly shocking moment from this reading. Yeah. Which was... Oh, my goodness. Leto's casual command to just murder House Carino. Because... Okay, listen. After confirming that House Carino offered Mineo a bribe, Leto is like, oh, there's this myth, but I kind of get the impression that the myth is one of those kind of whispered rumors. Quote, House Carino will be restored to its ancient powers. End quote. Right? People are maybe not so happy with this whole fish speaker tyranny. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, they're going, oh, it wasn't that bad. The oral histories tell us it wasn't so bad under the Lance Rad and under House Carino. And Moneo's like, yeah, I've heard that rumor. I've heard that myth. Leto's like, quote, 
have the Carino killed. <laughs> End quote. As a, just as a fucking test for the Duncan Idaho. Dun- Duncan looks a little bored. Lanto's like, yeah, he looks bored. Hey, Duncan, mm-hmm. <laughs> go kill Alex Carino. And then, quote, it is still known that Melange can extend human life. Let it also be known that the spice can shorten life. End quote. Damn. Another message. It's fucking crazy. It's just manipulation on a mass scale, you know? What's the yeah. message that that sends to every other remnant of a great house? Don't fuck around. Don't try to be too ambitious because I will have you killed. Right. Now, first of all, I think that could just be an email. He could just send that little <laughs> message as a fucking letter to everybody. He could just say it and everyone would be like, oh, my God, did you hear what he said? Yeah. I don't yeah. think you need to murder <laughs> to send that message. Right. But I'll also add that in that little passage, I definitely read that in the singular, right? Have him kill the Carino, right? Have the Carino killed. Yeah. But on a second read through, we actually don't know how House Carino is pluralized. Like, I don't know that I've, we've made jokes about the Carinos, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't know how it's pluralized. So it is actually possible that when he says the Carino, maybe he's suggesting killing off any and all heirs. Yeah. Pretty wild. And overall, even if it's just the one person, that's pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know what kind of murder spree Duncan is supposed to go on here. Yeah, he's like, Moneo, what's the name of the guy I'm supposed to kill? Moneo's like, names and guys. And then rolls out a big form that has like a hundred names on it. Duncan's like, okay, this is going to take me a night or two. <laughs> right, right. Uh, tough look, tough look. So to summarize our first takeaway here, we're listing all of these things. Because lest we forget and become too sympathetic with the giant, sad, lonely worm man, <laughs> yeah. he is, at the end of the day, by most definitions, still a brutal tyrant ruling with an iron fist. And he has literal millions, if not billions of lives on his bloody hands. Yeah. To be clear. Yes. And achieving his quote-unquote peace, achieving Leto's peace requires the god emperor to frankly be anything but peaceful Mm. to enforce that tranquility to enforce his vision his stagnation upon humanity yeah requires the use of every single tool out of the autocratic ruler toolkit i mean we didn't even fucking talk about the fact that everyone's lifespan is like half of what it was three thousand years ago right even the people living, he has effectively, artificially reduced their life by half. Yeah. It's crazy. Ugh. It's wild. And, and, and it's important to remember that, that we are inside Leto's head quite a bit, and we see his emotions and his guilt and his sadness and his loneliness. Right. And we somehow have to balance that out with his action and his bloodshed. And it's something that Moneo himself does too. Right. The alternatives are worse. And it's just tough for us to imagine those alternatives sometimes. Yeah. I feel like we're <laughs> we're like 13 pages into Dune and we're like interjecting pieces of Dune Messiah <laughs> into Dune. Like, hey, yeah, I know this Paul guy seems pretty great, but you should know there's like some bad to him too and like whatever. Yeah. Well, that was our first takeaway. Let's touch on our, our second takeaway today, which is something that was talked about in today's reading. And it's this quote. This, this idea of rhetorical despotism, 
which is like yeah two of the most like i i had no idea what that meant mm-hmm. and the quote that we wanted to talk about uh and and specifically about the jesuits and the idea of rhetorical despotism the quote is quote religion always leads to rhetorical despotism leto said before the Bene Gesserit, the jesuits were the best at it end quote so much in that little quote there i read that and was like what <laughs> that's yeah okay sh- sure but we did some we, we did some digging we found some definitions and we decided this would be helpful to uh dig into a little bit yeah it, it's always fun to get into some of the more philosophical and political parts of frank's writing but in particular god emperor and, and this is a big concept so we wanted to tackle it whenever frank ends up on a soapbox it's like okay <laughs> yeah let's break it down yeah exactly so Let's begin by defining rhetorical despotism. Right. If you break that apart, we have two words. We have rhetoric and we have despotism. Rhetoric is defined as, quote, the art of effective or persuasive speaking or writing, especially the use of figures of speech and other compositional techniques, end quote. Yeah. The word despotism is defined as, quote, the exercise of absolute power, especially in a cruel and oppressive way, end quote. Right. So putting those two words together, then rhetorical despotism, we can then understand to mean using persuasive speaking or writing to wield absolute power in a cruel or oppressive way. Right. Like manipulation or debasing alternatives artificially and really like leaving people with one option. Right. Yeah. 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 Now, looking at Leto's statement to Moneo. He is saying that the Jesuits and the Bene Gesserit are two of the best examples of groups who have wielded rhetorical despotism in human history. Yeah. And while those two groups may be the best examples, what he is saying is that this applies to basically all religions. And he goes on to explain that religious groups, quote, do not begin by deluding themselves with it, end quote. But eventually, their own rhetoric, quote, leads to self-fulfilling prophecy and justifications for all manner of obscenities, end quote. So they fall prey to their own rhetoric. They may use it externally at first to oppress or sway other people. Right. But eventually, the group will start drinking its own Kool-Aid, basically. Right. They're kind of manifesting. (laughs) They're like... You know, it's you set your agenda for the year, and just by saying it, eh, maybe it happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we see this very clearly in the books themselves through the Bene Gesserit. Like, they worked on a millennia-long plan to create the Kwisatz Haderach. They manipulated, they backstabbed, they breeded certain people together for generations to yeah. create the Kwisatz Haderach because it's the thing they believed in. That was their whole purpose, only to have that plan spectacularly backfire on them. And right. now they're staying in two-star Airbnbs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we sort of see a very clear example of that here in the Bene Gesserit as well, that they wielded rhetorical despotism they oppressed and manipulated through their words and actions and it backfired on them they believed their own mission too much yeah now you could obviously 
call out the sort of hypocrisy <laughs> and the sort of <laughs> irony of the god emperor, the tyrant who fucking talks everyone into a corner and preaches at people, as we've been told. <laughs> but the irony is not lost on Leto, right? Yeah. L- like he knows more than anybody that he is every bit the rhetorical despot the Jesuits and the Benny Gesserit were, right? Quote, it leads directly to hypocrisy, which is always betrayed by the gap between actions and explanations. They never agree. End quote. Oh, I love that quote. It's so much better than Fear is the Mind Killer. It's incredible. <laughs> I love that quote, too. That really stood out to me in this yeah, whole section yeah. that I was like, say it again for the people in the back. Leto. It's so good. Yes. But, but. And, you know, Moneo is is also uncomfortable with this kind of rant because the hypocrisy and irony also isn't lost on him. Moneo's a, a smart yep. dude. He kind of he's he's with it. He knows what's going on. He says, quote, talk of religious power always makes me un- uneasy. Lord, end quote. Because, mm. yeah, fucking Leto's out here being a rhetorical despot. Having Moneo and the fish speakers do rhetorical despotic shit on his behalf. And then he's going, ugh, I hate rhetorical despotism. And Moneo's like, what do I say to this? (laughs) Like, I feel like this is a lose-lose conversation for me. Yeah, Because I can't be like, yeah, we do suck. But also I can't be like, no, you shouldn't. No, <laughs> like there isn't a great response there. And it's it's funny to hear, yeah, uh, <laughs> to see Moneo's discomfort. Right. He's like squirming throughout this conversation. Yeah. And, and actually, the irony gets worse because Leto keeps going. And he angrily states, quote, in the shadow of every religion lurks a Torquemada, end quote. I was like, I don't know that Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> We talked about it earlier, but he is disgusted by Torquemada. He calls him an obscenity. Yeah. And what I found so funny is that in that very same breath that he is railing against Torquemada as an obscenity, Leto literally admits to wielding rhetorical despotism because he says immediately after, quote, you have never encountered that name. I know because I caused it to be expunged from all the records. End quote. Yeah. Hilarious. I will also point out, did a quick word search. Word obscenity used seven times in this book. Mm. Six of the times, uh, five of the times, he's describing himself with the word. Leto uses the word Mm. to describe himself. And he Mm -hmm. says, my holy obscenity is like the phrase he uses over and over again. Right. So I thought it was just really fascinating that he used the word obscenity to describe Torquemada within this sort of like self-referential, <laughs> like acknowledging his own hypocrisy yeah. little TED talk. Totally. I'm really glad you did that word search because <laughs> if five of the six times he's talking about himself and the sixth of the sixth time he's talking about Torquemada, one might draw the conclusion. <laughs> yeah. That Leto is disgusted by Torquemada because maybe it feels a bit too much like looking in the mirror yeah. for Leto. And that's not something he's comfortable with. Maybe he sees a bit too much of himself in Torquemada. Yeah, oh, it's possible. And listen, at the end of the day, he, got, he expunged the records of Torquemada's name. 
And I'm like, I don't think you even need to do that because in 2023, I don't know who Torquemada is. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> we had to Google that shit. <laughs> 30,000 years in the future where yeah. people haven't even heard of like the Jesuits. <laughs> right. But right. whatever. He expunged him from the records. Yeah. Why? Is it for fear of people drawing comparisons? Is it, you know, again, this sort of like embarrassment? I don't know. But you're right. I think there's there's a, there's something to that. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Now, it did seem odd to us that Leto, a.k.a. Frank, on his little soapbox, honed in on the Jesuits so specifically. Um, yeah. But I think also part of my confusion, I was like, why is he talking about the Jesuits? Was because I didn't know anything about the Jesuits. Mm-hmm. Like, I was raised Buddhist. I don't know anything about any of this. Uh, so I did some poking around. I did some research on, on the Jesuits and the history, the early history of the Jesuits. Yeah. And actually quite a bit fell into place for me. So I did want to take a, a light speed crash course in my, the, the kind of connections that I was seeing between the Jesuits and almost thought, honestly, all of Dune, uh, but specifically this conversation. Mm-hmm. So to start off, to be clear, although Jesuits are still around today and there's a lot of people who are Jesuit, it is a religious order of the Catholic Church, and it was founded in 1540 A.D. So, Jesus, quite a while ago, almost 500 years ago. Their 500th anniversary is coming up. Now, notably, (laughs) the Jesuits leaned into education as a means of spreading the faith. Like, they were debaters, they were scholars, they were educators, and they established schools. They built universities and schools all over the world, lots of different countries in Asia, and, and it, it just seemed like all over. And they were able to teach all sorts of subjects. Like they didn't just teach religion or theology. They taught lots of subjects, but with the goal within all of those subjects of aligning those students with Catholic values and beliefs, right? Like yeah, teach them from the ground up Catholic values so that then it's easier to convert them to Catholicism. Right. Now, they were also prolific writers. They used literature as another major tactic in spreading Catholicism. And finally, they were heavily involved in the Counter-Reformation. So basically, they were brought in, they were used because they were able to use persuasive language and emotional appeals to rally support for their cause and basically debase and disarm the arguments that the protestants were making wow and they've been accused historically of demonizing protestants and suppressing those dissenting opinions Mm -hmm. (laughs) which of course i think immediately clicks into a lot of this conversation right and even our last takeaway about like how the fish speakers work and that sort of thing now you'll notice a lot of parallels as well you know we did a couple of episodes on the Bene Gesserit history we see a lot of parallels between the Jesuits and the Bene Gesserit sisterhood. Mm -hmm. And it's worth noting beyond the fact that there's speculation that Jesuit is literally an adaptation of Jesuit, Bene being Latin for good and that the good Jesuits, basically Brian Herbert wrote in dreamer of Dune that Frank was forced into a Catholic education by his Jesuit aunts. Wow. Incredible. (laughs) So some of Leto's sass here going the fucking Jesuits. (laughs) Sounds very like Frank being angry because Frank's father was agnostic apparently, and then his aunts were like very Catholic and very Jesuit, and they oh, like wow. put him into Jesuit education. Yeah, that that classic, <laughs> classic 
Catholic track of being forced into the Catholic school and then being super not Catholic Just later in life. Bitter about it your whole life. <laughs> and then writing whole books about it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is some very fun history. And I think it really does help put into perspective why Leto would bring up the Jesuits. And yeah, the, the connections to the Bene Gesserit are so clear, especially after we did that history of the Bene Gesserit episode. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I, I got the impression there were a lot of ways that lots of different orders within Catholicism worked to spread Catholicism. But the fact that the Jesuits in particular were known for their like debate and literature and the way they wielded words to do everything that Leto's talking about. Yeah. Really, I was like, oh, this is a great comparison that Leto has made. Yeah. And then learning about Frank Herbert's early childhood being forced into Jesuit education yeah. made it so much funnier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to some extent, every religion does all of these things. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Educating your young so that you can, quote unquote, indoctrinate them early sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Every religion does it to some extent. But I think your research helps put into perspective that the Jesuits were quite known for this some may say infamous for this you know that they did it to a degree that it became intrinsic to their order and who they were yeah i'll also really quickly point out if we have any jesuit listeners because there are still jesuits in the world another part of my research was that the the order has has had those kind of moments of being criticized for doing those things but also has done a ton of fucking good in the world building schools in areas that couldn't afford to build schools and stuff like that. So as much as I just yeah. painted a very like cynical picture of the Jesuit order within the Catholic faith, yeah. uh, I just want to be clear. They also do a lot of good. And if you look into it, it's, you know, I found myself at times being like, wow, that's really fucking awesome. So uh, just wanted to yeah. <laughs> balance out the record a bit. Gotcha. Not trying to shit on all Jesuits right now. <laughs> well, hey. Uh, let me swing this fucking pendulum the other way again, back to a bit of cynicism. Sure. <laughs> because I wanted to wrap up this second takeaway about rhetorical despotism yeah. and the Bene Gesserit and the Jesuits by just sharing, I guess, my own sort of opinion and thoughts on it. Because sure. doing the research here, reading these chapters, hearing what Leto had to say, I can't speak for others, but I really find myself agreeing with Leto's view on this, on the idea that all religion ultimately relies on rhetorical despotism. Based on my own experiences growing up in a ultra-conservative home, I have seen firsthand how religious rhetoric is twisted and used to justify some horrible actions, right? Totally. Some of those fucking yeah. actions I'm still untangling in therapy to this day. Yeah, uh, true. And to your point about how much good the Jesuits have done throughout history, unfortunately for me— as much good as any religion can do and has done throughout human history, most religions also have an extremely long receipt of a bloody history of religious wars, of persecution, bigotry, and oppression, that it makes Leto's statements here to Moneo ring absolutely true to me. Yeah. And again, th this is all my own opinion on it and my own interpretation and what would I think of what Leto is saying based on my own life experiences? But this really tracks for me. And I find myself in a place where I really do agree with Leto and his beliefs on religion 
align quite a bit with where I'm at currently in life. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'll join you on that cynical <laughs> pendulum. <laughs> because, you know, I don't want to I don't want to call out any specific faith, especially people's individual faiths, like no beef with individual faith. Like I've got no problem with people having a belief in God and blah blah blah. And I found I've always been really interested in those kind of big theistic organizations and fucking yeah a lot of this rings true like regardless of your personal faith when you look at what religious texts say is important and then what those organizations have done historically yeah the quote gap between actions and explanations <laughs> hello is fucking absurdly spot on yep god i mean the number of people killed in the name of loving gods yeah is just absurd so, I don't know. At the end of the day, taking Leto at his word as a Quisatz Hatterach, uh, you know, uh, yeah, sure. Whatever he's doing is pretty, pretty likely to fall under, like, means to an end, and it's fine, and all of its works. And But, yeah, I definitely found myself vibing with what he was saying. Yeah. And I, I guess to, to get more of his thoughts on it, we, we have to read the rest of the book, huh? <laughs> Golly. damn it huh, damn it i was hoping we could put I it was down gonna after stop right here 15. forever <laughs> so we made it 10 percent of the way through the book it's great <laughs> well okay so those are our takeaways and yeah we've got some morsels for you and in fact i think mm -hmm. yeah the, mm -hmm. whoever was knocking at my door seems to leave me alone but the uh <laughs> does smell like the morsels might be ready so i'm gonna go get those from the kitchen yeah we're gonna take another quick break We'll be right back. When we're back, we're going to talk about our morsels from today. Welcome back, folks. Mm. Let's chop down on some of these delicious spice morsels. We have two yummy morsels for you today. Yes. Starting with morsel number one, Torquemada. Torquemada. So, Leto may have erased all records of our boy Torquemada in his empire, but luckily for us, the internet still exists, and we looked this guy up. <laughs> so let us tell you a little bit about Torquemada. Indeed. Born in 1420 AD, Tomas de Torquemada was a Spanish-Dominican friar who was appointed the first Grand Inquisitor of the Spanish Inquisition. As Leto hints to Moneo, he became known for his ruthless tactics, which included things such as torture, and execution of non-believers. Super chill guy. <laughs> yeah. While he held the position of Grand Inquisitor, I just keep thinking this guy's hunting down Jedi. Sorry, it's just like <laughs> such a Star Wars thing. Yeah. I mean, listen, you're not wrong. Kinda. <laughs> Kinda. While holding his position of Grand Inquisitor, he was responsible for the death of thousands of people. Yes. So, again, we are no longer talking about Dune lore. This is a real dude who existed in real history, and he has literal thousands of people's lives on his bloody hands. Thousands of people. It's crazy. Yeah. He also played a key role in the expulsion of Jews from Spain in 1492. And although some Catholics revere him as a champion of the Catholic orthodoxy, Ultimately, his legacy is tied closely with religious intolerance and persecution. Right. TLDR, bad guy. <laughs> yeah. He eventually died at 78 years old 
to natural causes in the year 1498 AD, which just seems unfair as fuck. <laughs> if I was one of the family members of the thousands of people yeah. he was responsible for killing. But he died in 1498. So this obviously leads to the question of why Leto brought him up at all. And we threw out some theories earlier. Leto may see himself in Torquemada and is tortured by it and recognizes the hypocrisy in his own actions. Obviously, he doesn't like him, right? He uses the word obscenity to describe Torquemada. Right. Like you said, the only other time he uses that word is on himself. And of course, as we discussed, Leto explains the way religions use rhetorical despotism to control the masses using language and education like the Jesuits and the Bene Gesserit have done. And he talks about how power bases, like these religions, attract dangerous people who want power for power's sake. Dangerous people, perhaps, like Torquemada. And so he's really connecting himself and human history and the idea of religion and rhetorical despotism and all of these themes we've talked about on the episode today to this real-life historical person, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Well, our second morsel today is Reverend Mother Tertius Eileen Antioch. <laughs> hey! Yeah, she hates where she's sleeping tonight. <laughs> the Dune Encyclopedia actually tells us quite a bit about her, which is wonderful. And we decided it would be fun to kind of fill in a little bit of her backstory. It's like a tiny little biography. Yeah. So Tertius Eileen Antioch was born on planet Paquita. <laughs> Cute, Aww. cute name of planet, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And was uh, recruited early in life as in, in one of literally the saddest fucking stories I've ever encountered. Mm. So to be clear, planet Paquita didn't have an official Bene Gesserit presence, though naturally they had Bene Gesserit of secret rank or hidden rank on the planet, kind of keeping an eye out for potential, uh, like girls who have promise, right? Yeah. And this unnamed sister is on the planet one day, kind of near the university. And she hears a riot in the square facing the university. And she, she goes, she's like, what the fuck's going on? She finds a big group of adults and kids stoning three little girls, throwing oh, rocks gosh. at three little girls, quote, calling them witches spawn and accusing them of placing spells on the townspeople. End quote. Oh my God. Fucking awful. For a bit of levity, I do imagine, she turned me into a newt. <laughs> and then the, what? I got better. You know that whole thing? No. Okay. Monty no, Python no. and Holy Grail. We gotta, we gotta oh, I've show never you that, seen movie. that movie. Fuck, it's so good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're calling her a witch and they like strapped a witch's nose to her. And she's like, it's not my nose. Anyway, it's fine. I'll describe it to you more in depth and then you'll think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Now, back to the fucking tragic story. So, witches spawn girls accused, little girls, young girls, being stoned, throwing rocks at these girls. Two of the girls died, Ugh. killed by rocks. And the only survivor was little child Tertius Antioch. Wow. Now, this is by the time that other, like, Benny Gesserit arrived on the scene. She was taken into the university for medical care. And when she was recovered enough, when she was strong enough, she was sent to the chapter house on Wallach nine for training. And they didn't say this explicitly, but I got the impression the whole accused them of placing spells on the townspeople. I think this is a byproduct of them having maybe some 
a natural persuasion and some qualities that again make them valuable to the Bene Gesserit sisterhood. So yeah. it is very nice of them to have saved her life, but also I get the impression this is, as always, serving the Bene Gesserit sisterhood. Right. Now, as a young child, Antioch's early years on Wallach 9 basically demonstrated her to be just a fucking brilliant analyst, like a wise beyond her years analyst, and also deeply empathetic and intuitive. Yeah. Now, she went on to become one of the youngest women ever to be initiated as a reverend mother. Wow. Which is huge. Yeah. Because we're also meeting her in the book. I don't know how old she is exactly, but I think she's in her 60s and uh, maybe 50s. And as an adult, she became famous for her diplomatic skills as well as uh, for her uh, philosophy toward absurd humor and protecting younger Bene Gesserits. So there is more to say about her life, but we'll save that for later. And I did want to wrap it up for now on one final note. Yeah. Her entire life, she carries a scar on her forehead from when she was stoned as a child, for when she was hit in the, the face and the head with the stone for, quote, being a witch, end quote. Wow. Which, for me, genuinely, makes her abilities as a diplomat and as a deeply empathetic person who kind of understands people and can work with them and, and, and get to where they are, you know, as part of that, as well as her wry humor. All of these qualities of her, in spite of that early trauma, it's just so much more impressive for me. Yeah. Really incredible. So anyway, uh, it's been a minute. I, I think it's time we pitch yet another HBO miniseries. <laughs> mm, <laughs> I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. Reverend Mother Antioch deserves a miniseries. Yes. The Antioch Chronicles. The Antioch Chronicles. Indeed. So there you have it. Hit us up, HBO. Hit us up. We'll accept that check anytime you want to send it. <laughs> All righty. Another doozy, folks. Another book club episode in the books. Indeed, we did it. This was a fun one. Now, we do have some homework for you because we are chugging along nicely through this book for the next episode in this book club series. Yeah. Dear listener, make sure you have read chapters 16, 17, and 18. Or, if your copy is different than ours, read through the chapter that ends on a character saying the word, quote, See an oak. End quote. Yeah. So just that word. Whenever you hear it, stop reading. <laughs> Throw the book. If you hear that word, get get rid of it. Burn the book. <laughs> Make a pyre of dune books and then no no no. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just make sure whoever you're burning on the pyre is unconscious. Yeah. That's the no, right No way to pain. Do it. No pain. Yeah. No one can hold you accountable if you do it like that. <laughs> If if no one got hurt, every crime is excusable, is what this book has taught yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Lord Leto, for that incredible loophole. Thank you, Lord Leto. <laughs> All righty. Before we let you go, we want to remind you of a couple great ways to support this show and a great way to keep in touch with us. Indeed. And the best way to support us, as always, become a patron, please. Yes. Patreon.com forward slash Gamjabar. You get cool benefits. Ooh. Need I remind you, ad-free episodes. Get rid of ads. None of them. Wow. Zero ads. We record separate transitions <laughs> for those episodes. You get to hear them. Weekly blooper clips. Mm. If we fuck up, you get to hear it. No one else does. Great. Incredible. And 
an invitation to our Discord server, which... Yes, which is popping off. It's popping off because the movie's coming out. And yes. honestly, it's just the best. When Dune Awakening comes out, we could play with our fucking Discord people. Yeah. It's yeah. MMO. That would be so yeah. hype. <laughs> We've done a live recording in our Discord before we did for a live, everyone yeah. in there. Yeah. We did a live show in there. We take yeah, questions. A lot of fun chatting. in the Discord. We get made fun of sometimes. Yeah. It's very yeah. cool. I don't <laughs> cling to that memory bitterly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's lovely. Patreon.com slash Gamjabar. The support of our patrons makes it possible to do what we do. So we thank you endlessly if you are a patron, and we ask that you consider becoming a patron if you're in a financial place to do so. Truly. Now, another great way to support us is to get yourself some Dune-themed merch from our merch store, GamjabarShop.com. Mm. We have art. For your walls. We have apparel for your bodies. We have mugs for your coffee. For your mouth. <laughs> for your for your mouth. For your mouth. <laughs> we have tote bag for your shoulders. For your head. <laughs> You're allowed to wear it as a hat. <laughs> and so much more. There's so many other things on our merch store that you can put on your body, dear listener. <laughs> Gamjabarshop.com. <laughs> yeah, we've got wall art for your back. We've got the decals for any inch of your skin. <laughs> oh, boy. That's so stupid. These long recordings, we're losing it. Okay, finally, the last reminder we want to leave you with yeah. is the best way to get in touch with us. Email us at gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts as you read this incredibly weird and wacky book with us. Mm. And, of course, send us your questions for future mailbags. Send us cute pictures of your pets because we love it and we need that dose of serotonin every now and again. It's so nice. Gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. We actually have a uh, folder of emails that people have sent us that are just emails that hype us up and make us feel good. So if you have like heartwarming stories or something that you want to say that's just nice, send it to us. Because in the darkest of nights, when we're like clutching at our heads going, what have we fucking done? <laughs> what do we talk about next? In the longest of recordings. In the longest of recordings. When it's been three fucking hours and we're still going. Insane. Uh, we We turn to those emails. So... Yeah. Don't hesitate to, even if it's just to say, hey, y'all are fucking great. We love those emails. It's very nice to hear. Yeah. Wait, I, wait, I, I think, it, okay, no, I, I think someone's yeah, at my yeah, door. Don't answer so the door. I, I, oh, yeah. I'll be right don't right. answer the door. No, no. Hello. While you're tall. Ow, lasers. Ow, God. My my legs. Ask them for their ask them for their certifications. Do you? They can't pew, shoot you pew. without one. Do you have your certificate? Pew, 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 pew. Do you have your certifications, please? <laughs> <laughs> License and registration, please. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> That's so silly. It's giving. Uh, it's giving Minority Report. It's giving. <laughs> it's, it's giving. It's so fucking funny to me. <laughs> I'm serving Corva.
Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path.